אין יש להם חלק לעולם הבא שנאמר לעמך כולם צדיקים לעולם מרשועה לסנסת מטעי מעשה ידיי להתפאר אף הוא ראה גולגולת ששפה על פני המים אמר אל דאטפת אטפוך לסוף מטייפייך יתופון We're learning tonight the Pirkei Avot as our custom tonight shiur is refuah shelema mazal bat sumha el narefan ala betoch shar chole amo Yisrael amen and I chose a Mishnah in the second Perek early on the author of the this week's Mishnah is the same author of last week's it's none other than the great Rabbi Hillel and if you didn't understand when I quoted it, it's because it's the only Mishnah, like I say, the only, it's one of the few Mishnayot in Pirkei that is in Aramaic. And it seems that he said it in Aramaic because that was the common language at the time. And whenever the rabbi said something important, they wanted to make sure that everybody understands it. And it seems that Hillel said this in front of uh, some of his students. He was walking and he saw a gulgolet, a, a skull. Yeah, you heard it, a skull that was floating on the water. And he was talking to the skull. He was talking to the skull. Now, obviously, he was talking to his students, but he made the following, uh, the following statement. And he said, that the reason why you drowned is because you probably drowned somebody first. Therefore, he was teaching a student the famous rule of what goes around comes around, and there's a midah, connected midah, there's measure for measure, and nothing for nothing, God keeps score, and therefore, if you are floating in the water, that didn't happen by chance, you deserve it. But then Hillel concluded and said, But rest assured, those that drowned you will ultimately be drowned as well. Now the question is, what do you mean? If he just said that, he deserved to be drowned, so why is the next uh, uh, criminal going to be punished? He killed a guilty person. And the answer is because God didn't tell him to do justice. But Olam knows how to take care of uh, the criminal on his own. He doesn't need help. Which means the guy that uh, uh, drowned his uh, whatever, <clears throat> he wasn't doing it because he had a prophecy from God to meet out justice. Although it was justice. So they have two points over there. God wanted this person to be judged, but he didn't commission this person to do the judging, so therefore he will be punished as well. So basically Hillel is teaching us that when you see a person get a punishment, there's a reason God has a scorecard and everybody gets their just desserts, as they say. That brought me to the uh, question that if we are uh, told to emulate God, so it seems God uh, gets even. You know, he makes sure that nobody gets away with anything. So I wanted to know that are we, uh, do we have that same luxury to make retribution or as they would call it, vengeance or to, uh, you know, um, to repay or to get even, as they say. So that brings us to the subject of tonight's class, Parashat Kedoshim. That's loaded. Parashat is loaded. The challenge of Parashat Kedushim is not what to say, it's what not to say, because you could, you could talk to them this Parashat for hours. I chose the most famous of the Pesukim, chapter 19, Pasuk 18, and the Pasuk says, and I read, Lotikom. There you go. Lotikom means that we're not allowed to take revenge. It's a sin from the Torah. What does it mean? So that she tells us the classic example. Amar lo, Hashileni Magalcha. A tells B, lend me your Magal. Magal is a sickle. That's what you use to, to cut the wheat. And B answers back and says, love. Tells them, absolutely not. I'm not going to lend you my Magal. And then what happens? The next day, Lemachar, Amar Lo. So now, A tells B, Hashileni Kardumcha. You know, lend me your uh, spade. Let me lend me your uh, shovel. Amar Lo, he says, you have, you have chutzpah. Any mashilecha kederech shelo hishaltan. 
you want, when I asked you yesterday for the sickle, you said no. And therefore, you said no to me, I'm saying no to you, and therefore I'm not going to lend you my, my speech. That is Nekama, where specifically he's taking a revenge for something that was done to him. Now, even though uh, A was wrong, I mean, seemingly he was wrong, he asked him to lend him something, he said no. B, I would say in this case is more right. He's only reacting to A's refusal. But the Torah says, B gets the crime of Lotikom because he came along and he said, ah, you didn't do a favor to me and therefore I'm going to tit for that and therefore don't ask me for my, uh, don't ask me for my shovel. That's ex exactly Lotikom. The question that I had was, hold it. I understand why you want to get the second guy because he's taking revenge, but there's nowhere in the book here that says that the first guy is guilty. I mean, you got to write a summons on the first guy for saying no. It seems that he gets a pass and only when the second guy reacted to his no, oh, you take a revenge. When the first guy is no Sadiq, lend me a sickle no. He gets away with it. It's only when the guy reacts and says, well, you hotspot, I should lend you the shovel when you didn't lend me the sickle. That's, oh, you take a revenge. You should do it. And the first guy who said no. So the Hezkuni over here says something beautiful. He says, listen, the first guy didn't want to lend his sickle for a simple reason. He's a cheapskate. Certain people are uh, very, uh, uh, you know, connected to their assets. They're overprotective of their, of their stuff. And you got people like that. They don't lend out their stuff, either because he was going to break or you know, just not his way. Now, not a good midah to be a, uh, you know, cheapskate, that's for sure. But... It's not a crime in the Torah to be cheap. Again, it's a, it's a flaw of character. You know, it's not the best midah, but you can't uh, uh, indict somebody for not wanting to lend something. That's not his way. However, the second guy, he doesn't have a problem to lend stuff because he would good and well lend his axe to somebody else. He's just not lending it to A because he says, you didn't lend it to me and therefore I'm not giving it to you. That already is animosity. That's already a sin of hatred. And that already is a crime, a federal crime, according to the Torah. It's one thing to love uh, your, uh, your asset. and Therefore, you don't want to lend it out. But to come along and now take a revenge, which means... The second guy has no problem to lend that item to somebody else, you would ask him. But you asking me? No way, I'll never lend it to you. So that already is hatred, and the Torah says, look, tisna, and that's why the second one is guilty. Fine, that's the case of lotikom. Now, we have this all day long. Although none of us lend out spades or shovels or, or, or sickles, but it happens all day long. You get an invitation to a wedding, and... Uh, you know, you ask your wife, you know, are we going to the wedding? Absolutely not. They didn't come to our wedding uh, when we invited them, and they were, we're not going to their wedding. Now, normally you do go to social events, but we're not going to theirs because we just made a party the other day. They didn't show up, so they were, we should go to their wedding over there. I think we all be take advantage of us over here. So that already, that little conversation of, you know, uh, 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 making a statement of revenge is Isud de Oraita. That's a, that's a federal crime from the Torah, Lotikom. Then the Torah says, Velotitor. Lotitor is something else, same pasuk. Lotitor is don't bear a grudge. It's different than revenge. And she gives the example. She says, Lotitor, Amar Lo, he says, lend me your uh, shovel. Amar lo lav. Tells him no. Lemaha, the next day, the guy who didn't want to lend the shovel tells his friend, hashileni magalcha, lend me your sickle. Amar lo halecha. Here it is. Gives it to him. Ve'eni kemotcha. And I'm not like you. Shelo altani. So therefore... He's giving it to him. I would say this guy's a sadiq. The guy got wronged. 
and he's above the uh, the fray, and he comes along and says, "Listen, I know you gave me a resounding no yesterday, but you know what? Nothing to do. You ask me for something, I'm giving it, and you have to know I'm not a a, a, a miser like you that doesn't lend out his stuff. I'm better than you. So it's not that the fact that he's not uh, giving the item that we give him credit for, but it's the way he's giving." His comment shows us that he has a certain uh, animus inside of him and he's bearing a grudge. So what does the Torah want the guy to do? They give it to him with a smile. And therefore, it's got nothing to do that he didn't lend you. You got to lend it to him and don't start uh, zinging him on the way out and saying, oh, I'm better than you. You don't lend, but, but I lend. That shows he's angry. And the Torah says, Lotitor. Now, when I read these, uh, these two crimes of the Torah, I said to myself, the Torah is asking us to be superhuman. I mean, you got to be an angel not to have these feelings. I think it's quite normal that if somebody wrongs you, uh, that human nature is you want to get even. So if you have the chance, there's nothing sweeter than that. Uh, I think in America, they talk about revenge being sweet, sweet revenge. And uh, even if I'm going to give it to him, but you can't tell me don't be upset. The guy tells me no to a favor that I'm asking for. Then he has the hotspot to come the next day and ask me for something. He wants to give it to me with a smile. I'll give it to him, but I'm not going to be happy. So I was wondering, does the Torah uh, tell us things that are you know, beyond the capability? So I found the Misilat Yisharim. Moshe Aim Lutzato in his, uh, his classic work, in chapter Yud Aleph, he talks about it. Listen to what he says. He says, don't kid yourself. Revenge is a very difficult item. You know, people are sensitive. And when they get hurt and they get wronged, they misstayed, bothers them, sa'ar gadol. And he says, and the revenge is sweet as honey. What's going to console the guy? What consoles people is, you got even. And we say, you know, ha, there you go. Okay. Therefore, when he's able to overcome the knee jerk, when he's able to overcome the habit, or what's natural, and overcome his nature, and he won't hate the one that instigated first, and he'll put the revenge on the side, when the opportunity arises, meaning in our story, day two, when he's asked of a favor, and now he's salivating, he has my chance to stick at them and say, you didn't lend me, I'm not lending. And he puts that reaction on the side. He makes it as if nothing happened. Says the Rab, you know what type of guy this is? That's a courageous, strong, powerful man. The Ramchal doesn't measure strength by how much you can bench press. The measurement is somebody that could suppress his reaction. He could suppress his desire. But then the Rab says, is it easy? He says, yeah, it's easy. He says, yeah, if you're a ministering angel in heaven, not taking revenge, is a cinch. You know why? Because angels are not wired like humans. But not people that are physical. That their foundation is the dust of the earth. But he says, what should I tell you? It's the law of the king, and if the king commanded it, although it's angelic, but nonetheless, God would not command it to us unless we had the ability to overcome it. 
So therefore, the Rab says you have to try to uh, keep that natural urge or tendency at bay. So I came here tonight uh, to try to offer our members uh, different approaches how to overcome and beat this nature of not wanting to make a vendetta against somebody and not to hold grudges. To me, the most uh, effective out of all the things I'm going to tell you tonight is the first thing I'm going to tell you. Although I usually leave that to the end, but since it's secular in nature, and I want to end with the Torah, of course, so I'll tell it to you. It comes from the works of Rabbi Abraham Tversky, the great Sadiq, and he talks about it in his commentary on Mesilat Yisharim, and I made a copy of it, and you have to listen to his golden words. He says, acting out of resentment is forbidden which is amazing thing. Somebody upset you. Therefore, he got you upset. You're agitated. And you're not allowed to resent it. You have an obligation to try to release it and get rid of it. And it is well within a person's means to restrain one's action. So you can do it. Holding on to a grudge accomplishes nothing in the way of avenging one's honor. If you think by holding a grudge against somebody that you're hurting that person, the only effect harboring a grudge accomplishes is negative to one's own self. This can contribute to ulcers, migraines, headaches, and high blood pressure. Besides that, nothing wrong. <laughs> why should I allow someone who has offended me to cause me to pain myself he already hurt me once so now I'm going to let him hurt me again and he says it's like the old saying that they say that you're letting somebody live in your brain rent free and then he goes on and explains it it's like taking poison hoping the other guy will die and that's not going to happen. So Rabbi Tversky says, it's bad for your health. So therefore, you have to figure out a way just to let it go because by holding on to it, you're not going to accomplish what you want anyway. And the only one that's going to get sick over it is the one that's bearing the grudge. And you have people that carry a lot of uh, history on their shoulder. Oh, that guy, this guy, that guy, that guy. And, and they regurgitate it and their body gets all uh, hyped up. And the other guy's sitting uh, playing tennis. You know, he got no problem. And you're sitting home brooding away and making a list of all the, you know, all the guys that wronged you since first grade. And the only one that's getting uh, affected by it, according to the Rav, is the person that's brooding and the person that's upset. So we have to figure out a way for nothing else just to maintain our health, how to let things go. And you get the guy back. <laughs> that's the problem. That's, that's what he says. You'll feel good. That's a sweet, the sweet revenge. The only problem is we got to get that man. Like, you know, if it wasn't for the king that told us we can't do it, that would be the best option. But the king says we can't do it. So we have to find other methods how to overcome it. So I brought, I don't know, I think I have three methods, and then I'll bring you something if we have time from the Kabbalah to tell you how to overcome it. The first uh, offering that I'm going to bring here tonight actually comes from the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud says in Masechet Nedarim, it's chapter 9, Ketiv, it says, Lotikom, don't take revenge. So the Yerushalmi gives a mashal. We know this mashal, it's well known. Kihach Avida, like this fellow, he was cutting something with a knife. And by mistake, the knife cut his left hand. So the Yerushalmi says, Is the left hand now going to come along and say, Oh, you cut my hand, is it going to cut the right hand? Of course not. Why? Because it's the same body. And therefore, who are you taking revenge against? Just to hurt yourself twice for a mistake that was done or for something that was done intentionally? So now you have two cuts. It's uh, the epitome of... Uh, of, of, of ludicrousness. 
And therefore, the nimshal is, the parable to that is, to us, the, the takeaway, if we understand that the Jewish people are not considered individuals and separate, but if you look at Klal Yisrael as what I just said, a Klal, as it's an entity, and if you believe that Kol Yisrael is actually one, and we're all connected to a certain degree, so therefore, by taking revenge on someone else, it's as if you're taking the revenge on yourself and you're only hurting yourself again. Now that takes, you know, philosophy to convince yourself that that's the way, that's the way it works. It takes convincing that that's the way Klai Yisrael works. We're not a bunch of separate grapes that are lying in a bowl. We're a bunch of grapes that are connected to the same stalk. And therefore, if you punish one, you're punishing yourself because you're connected as well. Now, based on that, we can understand the end of the pasuk. Because if you look at the end of this pasuk, lotikom velotitor, don't take revenge and don't bear a grudge at bene amecha to your people. Why would that be written in the pasuk? Unless it's telling you the fix. But if you believe that re'acha is kamocha, if you believe that you and your friend are connected and as one, so that we're not going to think about it. To make it a little more palatable to our members, I'll bring the famous derash that was said by Rav Shimon Shkup. Shimon Shkup was the great Rosh Yeshiva. Uh, he wrote the Sefer Shara Yoshev. Yeshivas, they learn his Torah very, very deep. And in his Hakdama, the introduction Shara Yoshev, he says something so beautiful. He quotes the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, also from Hillel. It's last week's uh, Mishnah. Hillel says, Im en anili mili, ukshe'ani la'atzmi ma'ani, v'im lo achshav imatai. I explained it. Hillel was saying, listen, im en anili, if I'm not going to be for myself, who's going to be for me? There comes a point you have to take responsibility. You can't just rely on people to do your uh, work. You have to do things for yourself. In en ani leave, I'm not going to be for myself. You can't rely on others. Me, who's going to be for me? But then he says, but if all I am going to be is for myself, that's called selfish, ma'ani, then what are you? Which means there has to be a balance. Of course, you have to tend to your own needs, but at the same time, you have to be extend yourself to others. And that's Hillel's uh, golden rule. The medium where you have to constantly balance tending to yourself, but also extending yourself to others. I repeat again. However, when am I to myself? Shimon Shkup makes the following observation. Look at the language of the Mishnah. In the first part of the Mishnah, it says when it's referring to the person, it refers to him as Li. To me. In the second part of the Mishnah, it says, No, it should say, Why did the Mishnah change the language? In the beginning of the Mishnah, it calls the person Li, and then at the end of the Mishnah, it refers to it as Atzmi. He notices that diuk, uh, that observation, and from there he builds the following language. If I were to ask you, what is the interpretation of the word ani? Most people would say ani refers to three people. Me, myself, and I. Ani, that's uh, nobody else. But if you start to think in a more broad vision, you start to realize that ani is not necessarily only yourself, but in that ani, other people are included. If you're married, for example, you definitely would say, yeah, when I say I, it means me and my wife. Uh, it's, uh, it's one. That's, so they've also, right, there's two people in the Ani. Now, if you have children, <laughs> you come along and say, listen, when I say I, I mean me, my wife, and my children. So that's what. You do something against me, you're doing something against my children, you're doing something against me. It's all, we're all one. And if you have grandchildren, all of us, you touch my grandchildren, like you're touching me. Therefore, a person's ani is not limited to one. The ani is 
you know, his extended family as well. Now, if you're even a little more broad, so then you say, and you know what? My best friends are also part of that. So don't touch my friends. That's uh, you're touching me. And then if you're even a little more, you have and yeshiva and your congregants in the synagogue. And Rav Shimon Shkab says the goal is in life to constantly extend the definition of ani to include more people until you get to the level where all of Pai Yisrael is in that ani. Now again, it's easy to start with the wife and the children and the grandchildren. But again, the goal is not to end this. So this is how he learns the Mishnah. If I am not going to be for myself, because you got to come first. The first Ani is what? It's got to be me. Really, who's going to be for me? However, when your Ani is only includes you, what type of Ani is that? An Ani that only includes Atsmi yourself? is a very selfish Ani. And therefore the goal is to make from the Ani Li into an Ani that is Klali. Basically what Shibishkab says that all Klai Yisrael is one and you, you see it by the Sadiqi. When Moshe Rabbeinu went out that first day in Egypt and he saw you know, a, a Jew getting beaten up, he, he, he jumps right in. Hey, what are you doing? You don't know the guy. Well, you have nothing to do with it. What do you mean? He's a fellow Jew. Therefore, right away, it affects Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's Ani didn't limit himself. Ultimately, he would defend 600,000 people after they would commit the worst sins. Because Moshe Rabbeinu said, uh, this is my people. So Moshe Rabbeinu was very, very large in that sense. So back to Yerushalmi. If you really accept that B'nai Yisrael are all one, so then already, uh, 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 by cutting... Uh, a branch of the tree that you're connected to, so you're hurting, you're hurting yourself. So that would maybe uh, deter somebody. But again, you got to be a philosopher for this. You know, at the time of revenge, you're not thinking of this. You know, Shabbos, oh, Christ says what? You, know, you have to be a very deep thinking. You know, Shimon Shkaf to come in uh, and hit you over the head with the Hakdamah Yoshin. It's a good advice, but I don't know if it's going to work at the time of of test. But I have to say. Nonetheless, because it is Yerushalmi. I think a more plausible approach is what the Sefer HaHinuch writes. The Sefer HaHinuch, Rabbi Aharon Levi wrote a Sefer giving us the reasons behind the 613 mitzvot. I recommend it because everybody always wants to know, what's the reason behind this? And a lot of times the rabbi said, the Torah doesn't give a reason. But if you open up the Sefer HaHinuch, he gives you the reason. Now, he doesn't tell you that it's the ultimate reason, but he makes it, uh, you know, he, he, he gives it a flavor. When it comes to this mitzvah, which happens to be the 241st mitzvah in the Torah, he says, But the person has to know, he has to put in his heart, that whatever happens to a person, whether it's good or the opposite, the cause of it ultimately, ultimately, anything that happens to a person, for better or for worse, comes from God. Nothing can happen to you unless God determines it, and God orchestrates it. And even if there's a, a, a man in between that looks like he's doing something to you, nobody can do anything unless it was willed by God himself. Which basically the Hanukkah is telling you that the biggest claim against the person that's taking revenge is not that he has bad character. Okay, bad character, Diamond doesn't. So no, a guy that takes revenge, he has no faith. This is already a siman, it's a symptom of a much greater problem. You don't believe that everything is God, but he didn't lend me a sickle. Yeah, that's from God, because for some reason, God doesn't want you to have that sickle. Yeah, but he's the one that said, no, he can't touch you. But Olam orchestrated that, and therefore, instead of taking having claims against the, 
the, the person that offended you, maybe instead of looking out, you have to look inside. And maybe you have to make amends with God. Uh, the mashal that they give is of the fellow that throws the stick at the dog. And by the way, the dog runs after the stick and bites the stick. Because the dog doesn't have the brains to know that it's not the stick that hit him. It's the person that threw the stick. And therefore, anytime something happens to a person, you have to not look at the mailman. That's the one that delivered it. You got to look at the origin who sent it. And the one that sent it is God. So therefore, you're directing your anger to the wrong person, to the wrong origin. And he says, why do, why do these things happen? So I'll tell you why. When a person goes through some pain or somebody hurts him, you're not a tzaddik. You have avonot. So that's Olam giving you a little uh, yisurin, a little affliction. Don't put your focus on the messenger. He's not the cause. The cause is your iniquity. And therefore, you better make amends with God. Which means you have the wrong focus. You're focusing on the wrong guy. But he's the one that said no. He's the one that offended. He's a tool. He's a stick that God sent. It's the avon that causes these things. And then he brings a proof from the Nevi. A greatest king that ever lived, King David, is running away from Absalom, his son. And all of a sudden, who catches up with him? The head of the Sanhedrin, big rabbi called Shim'i ben Gerah. Shim'i ben Gerah at that point had uh, some not nice things to say to David Amelech. He cursed him. But it's a curse that the Navi refers to as Kelalan Nimretzit. It is a bitter curse. He called him every name in the book in front of people. He called him a noef, you're an adulterer, you're a mored, you're a rebel, you're an otseyah, you're a murderer, you're a tzorer, you're an enemy, you're a toibah, you're an abomination. He's talking to the king. They wanted to rip his head off. They told David, let us at him, we'll kill him. And David's immediate answer is, hani holo, leave him alone, be kalel, let him curse. He has no mouth. God, for some reason, is sending me a message. This must have something that I did. So if anybody's going to deal with it, I will deal with it with the sender, not with the mailman. He's just delivering the mail. Now, David Amelech understood that if something embarrassing is happening to him, that's a chastisement from above. That's emunah. Like most people right away, who have short vision, only going to see what's in front of them. Is that what he blaming on God for? He did it. If you believe that nothing could happen in the world unless God allows it to happen, so therefore the claim is not on the bread. Therefore you let it go. So then the Rav comes along and says, based on this, I had a question. The question was, when we talk about this law of not being able to take revenge and bank grudges, normally whenever the Torah says, these type of laws, it says, do not bear a grudge to your friend or le'achicha. Le'achicha means to your, to your brother. And the rabbis always learn, oh, your brother, meaning your brother in mitzvot, meaning he has to be somebody that's like you, meaning somebody that's shomer Torah mitzvot. But if the guy's not a shomer Torah mitzvot, He's not part of you. Or he's got to be compatible to you. Here, however, if you look at the text, it says, means the people of your nation. It doesn't mention the word So I said, strange, very rarely do you see that the B'nai Yisrael are referred to the, uh, your landsman. So I saw that Rav Chaim Kanievsky, in his classic, Ta'amad Dikra, a book that I told you I bought from the author himself for 10 shekels, the best 10 shekels I ever spent in my life. And he says, Mashma, 
שאפילו אין לו בתורה ומצוות אסור בנקימה. Even if the person doesn't keep Torah and mitzvot, he's irreligious, חילוני, but he's בנעמך, he's still part of your nation. And therefore the laws apply, although some other laws might not apply, but the law of revenge applies. Based on the chinuch, I understand why. Because sometimes God will use a religious tool to annoy you, and sometimes he will use an irreligious tool to, but what's the difference, what the, what's the difference who the messenger was? Sometimes the guy's a kippah on it, sometimes the guy's got a, got a, got a, got a tattoo on his head. But what's the difference? It's the same messenger. So therefore, from the standpoint of emunah, it really doesn't matter where it came from on earth. The emunah tells us that you have to trace it back to Kadosh Baruch Hu from above. So at this point, We've offered three interpretations or three methods to overcome this uh, natural tendency. First method was, it doesn't make good health. You know, it's going to get the person sick. All day long, you know, brooding about the claims that he has against, you know, he's got the scorecard of all the people that wronged him, who he doesn't talk to, who he doesn't invite. And that's not going to do good for his health. But the more important ones are what the Yerushalmi said, and the most important so far is the Chinuch, because now it's telling you that it's a symptom of a much bigger problem. When you see somebody coming along and taking a vengeance and retribution, you have to say to yourself, where's the guy's emunah? Not where's the guy's derich eretz. It's for sure he doesn't have it. Where's the guy's emunah? Guy goes to shoot three times a day. He prays to Yudkev Avke, he prays to God, and he can go to, he doesn't know that everything is, everything is from, from, from above. So therefore, that's a big uh, indictment when a person cannot control that nature. It's a religious indictment. It's not only an indictment against his bad character, he has to go back to religious school and take some courses on, on Emunah. Fine. And by the way, I think that's why the Pasuk, according to the Hanukkah, at least if you look at it, it says, I don't care where it's coming from, even from a religious guy. You have to love your fellow. Hashem. What does that have to say, Hashem? Because the end of the Pasuk is saying, Hashem, I did it to you. The Pasuk is explaining why you shouldn't take revenge because, hello? And he has him. It came from me. So you're, 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 you're taking the, your anger out on the wrong person. You're biting the stick. Why don't you go look who threw the stick? And God announces himself in that pasuk when he says, And he has him. I am God. However, I did find yet another methodology how to overcome this trait. And it's from Harambam. Maimonides. It's, it's a beautiful piece. Usually Maimonides in his Yad Hazakah, the halachic work, doesn't really give you too much of the philosophy behind the law. It just gives you the law. In Morin Nebuchim, in the Guide to the Perplexed, that's where he gives you his ideology. But this is an exception. In the book of Mada, in Ilchot Deot, chapter 7, Halakha 7, Rambam writes, you know, a person should be let things go. Don't be such a stickler. Don't be such a kapdan. Don't let everybody's word affect you. Don't let everybody's wrong bother you. You got to let things go. You know why? And all the things that happen in the world, you got to be easy to let it slide. You know why? Because if you're a mevin, meaning if you're in the know, the world is all nonsense. And therefore, anything that happens in the world is heaven and havai. The Rabbam is coming to say, this is not the main world. So you're agonizing over, you know, he, he took it away from me. He took what? Some money? So now you think that the main events are the temporary world that we're living in? 
Don't you know that there's more important things? There's eternity, there's mitzvot, there's ruhaniyut, there's neshama, there's foreverness. So you're now involving yourself and going to war over nonsense, as we would say, over petty things. Uh, he took it and he, he's all physical stuff. Harabam saying, you know, that is showing us that you have the wrong perspective. Physical things shouldn't bother you. You know what should bother you? Spiritual items. Mitzvot should bother you. Your religious level, tending to your ulama ba. But nah, you're spending all your time brooding and angry. About what? So Rambam saying, the reason why you shouldn't take revenge is because nothing in this world is really worth your time to getting upset about. At the end of the day, it's physical stuff, which is vanity and therefore not so important. That's a, that's a totally different approach. That approach is saying that there's nothing to be upset about because really nothing has too much importance in Olam It's uh, the matters of this world are inconsequential. Now, if that's the case, I saw a beautiful Haida. Haida says on the Pasuk, Lotikom Velotitor et Bene Amecha. So we learn from Rafaim Kanievsky, he learns et Bene Amecha, meaning doesn't matter who he is. Doesn't have to be your brother, meaning in religion. Even if he's a Hiloni guy, you can't remember. But the Haida learns different. The Haida says, you know what Bene Amecha means? Bene means, he gives a mashal. He says, Imagine you have uh, kids. The kids are playing. What do the kids play? They make Lego. You know, Lego is, they take these uh, pieces, these components, toy, and they make their buildings. And now the kid finally makes a nice Lego uh, item. And one of the other kids comes along, <laughs> topples it down. And the kid lets out a scream like there's no tomorrow. And the mother from upstairs hears the kid screaming, who died? She comes running down. Mommy, look what he did. He broke, he broke it. You have to punish him. Hit him. Hit him. And the mother is trying to calm the kid. Okay, calm down. No, I'm not going to come. What he did, he destroyed my... Now, the mother cannot explain to the kid. It's a Lego set. What are you going crazy? But it's just screaming. Because the kid doesn't have the brains to know that this is not important. And the kid wants the mother to kill the other kid, which the mother will not do. Has a lollipop go away. What are you crying? Because the kid will not understand it. Says Rav that when a person starts to make a fuss about small things of this world, you're acting like a child. You're acting like a baby. And that's why the Pasuk says, You know why? You're acting like you're acting like the children of the nation. It's a juvenile behavior. It shows you that you think a Lego set is important. And you think, because you didn't get invited, therefore, or because the guy took something in a business, and, uh, therefore, this is something worthy to go to war about. Lego. What are you playing with nonsense over? Don't act like the children of the nation, because the children of the nation, they don't know. They don't know the value. You're dealing with things that are unimportant. King Solomon said, so that's Maimonides' approach. And that's another indictment against the person. When you see people involved in this type of behavior, you know, we don't talk to this one, and we don't. Uh, so it, it shows you that they have their priorities. Why are you making a fuss on this? This is not what you came to this world for. There's more important things to put your energy on. Instead of, uh, so if we let it go, yeah, it, it shouldn't bother you. Unless it's something that's significant. Ruhniyut, spirituality, then of course. But anything, anything besides that, not important. Now there's another approach, which to me, I enjoy this approach a lot. It's based on a rabbi called Rabbi Mordechai Karp. He wrote a sefer called Vayavinu Bambikra. And he says the following. He says, listen, you know how these things work? The father gets into a fight with somebody. 
because he did something to him first, and you know he's got to go back, and then it just keeps on going back and forth. Now, if it would end there, say, okay, listen, if, if we know that this fight has a an end point, then you say, okay, we'll cut our losses. But that's not the nature of it. Revenge and grudges become generational. It's something that the parents bequeath to their children. As we know, now the children grows up and he's got no claims, he's got no gripes to get any, anybody. But the parents tell him, we don't talk to those people and we don't invite those people. And when you see those people, you walk across the street and we don't marry them. And now the kids, well, 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 what? that's what we do. And all of a sudden now, the parents have bequeathed their children hatred and negativity and pessimism. And now the kids are brought up like that. And that's the Manhag their family. So now the grandchildren have clearly no idea. They never saw these people. But they're told, yeah, hey, Grandpa, we didn't talk to that guy. Why? We don't even know why anymore. But that's the Manhag their family. And therefore, they're on the outs. And now it becomes a generational issue. And that is the biggest deterrent, in my opinion. Because know that your enemies and those that you have claims against, you're going to give that to your children. And why would you want your children to have hatred? Why would you want your children to have negativity? So he says, You know why? Remember your children. Remember the banim. Even if you don't care about yourself, it's going to have an impact on on G2, on G3, on the future generations. And that alone is to say, you know what? I want to teach my children to be peaceful, to be cordial, to be proper. Let bygones be bygones. Forget about it. Otherwise, you're going to have children that have chips on their shoulder, and it's not even their chip. They're inheriting their father's chip and their mother's chip for no reason. And therefore, they have a skewed uh, uh, view. You're putting them already against people that there was no claim against, at least on a personal level. And therefore, the Pasuk says, Bene Amecha. So we have three interpretations of Bene Amecha. He said, Bene Amecha means even if they're not religious. The Chidalit Bene Amecha, you're acting like a child. You're getting angry because somebody knocked over your Lego set. Get over it. Don't be a baby. And the Vayavinu Bamekra is telling you, Bene Amecha, know that your hatred is going to be the hatred of Bene Amecha, of your children. And that's not worth it. You know, even if you're not willing to do it for yourself, but as parents, we do things for our children. Therefore, overcome the negativity for your children's sake. Now, our members uh, like to hear from time to time also the opinions of the Kabbalah, what the Kabbalah has to say. And the Kabbalah has a very, very strong opinion on this as well. Why is it in your benefit to resist the temptation of the Kabbalah? And listen, it happens all the time. You're buying a house. Somebody comes in and buys the house from under you. Ah, there you go. Man. I got to kill the guy. Because they took, now, but again, you believe like the Chinook said, it's from God. The house is from God. You do nothing. In Arabic, we say, finish. The game over. Our grandmother would say that. It's not Bashat, like you say. That's a game over. We believed it. But today, uh, oh, yeah, you're going to see now. We'll get him back. We're going to wait. Let it cook. Let it cook. When the right time will. We'll, 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 set the, we'll set the school even. But the, the, the Zohar says no. Zohar writes like this. Don't underestimate the power that we have as humans, as Jews especially. We can control the mode that God will treat us. I never, I never thought that. I thought we don't tell God what to do. God will treat us the way he wants to treat us. You don't, you don't tell the father how to treat the son. The father will say, I'll treat you like I want to treat you. But the Zohar says, no. But Allah put it in the world that he allows humans to activate the mode in which God will relate to you with. So we have the remote control. The Baal Shem Tov said it based on the Pasuk and Tehilim, Hashem Tzilecha. God is my shadow. Meaning, a shadow will always duplicate what you're doing. If you put your hand out, the shadow puts his hand out. So God is my shadow. God 
takes the lead in behaving with us after he sees our behavior with others. And therefore, God shadows the behavior of humans. So we're able to control God to a certain degree the way he's going to treat us. Now, there's no tzaddiki. Everybody's got averot. No, no disrespect to our members. Everybody has their weaknesses. Everybody has their wrongdoings. And if you look at it from the standpoint of we have wronged God. God told us don't do it. And we said we're doing it. Now that's giving God, uh, you know, pain. And God is able to take revenge. And the only way the Zohar says is to change the mode, to get God not to hold us accountable for the wrongs, is when we put the wrongs of others aside. So now we turn God's mode into they are not vengeful, they are not resentful, therefore I must treat them in the same way. And therefore the angels come along and say, but they did this, but they did that. I can't touch them. Why? Because they behave in a way where they don't touch the people that wrong them either. So they, they got to pass. And the Gemara says, Zohar quotes this, that when a person steps aside and overcomes the knee-jerk, Reaction, ma'abirim al kol peshav. Olam says, you're foregoing the wrong of others like it didn't happen. All is well. So God says, I'm foregoing all of their sins as well. This explains something that I'm sure you heard of, but they never explained the mechanics. They just explained to you the item, but they didn't explain the mechanics. They say that. When a person is confronted with somebody that embarrassed him or somebody that belittled him or somebody that caused him pain. So what do they tell you? They tell you, control your reaction. <clears throat> Resist the, the answer. And you create at that moment, etratzon. Etratzon means a, it's a moment of mercy. And you can ask God at that moment for your heart's desires. And you'll have a, Good chance of being answered. You pray for children, and you pray for Shaduk, and you pray for Panasau, help. It's an opportunity. And there's, I'm not a storyteller, but there's countless stories of people that were in that position and they didn't react. They went into the corner and they got the Tehillim book and they made a prayer and they saw results for things that they were waiting for for many years. It's almost as if the Zohar is saying that when a person gets wrong, you have to turn that. Uh, uh, liability into an asset. It's a, ch it's a challenge, but you're able to turn that challenge into an opportunity. You turn it around. It's your lucky day. What I'm saying, if you overcome your nature, ask me for anything you want at this time. What's the mechanics? Why, is, why, does, it, why does it work? I'll tell you why. Because what's stopping us from getting the berakah? The sins. <laughs> Once we show that we're foregoing somebody else's wrong, so God foregoes our wrong, the sins are out of the way. Now you're a Sadiq. <laughs> so when a Sadiq goes to God and says, I need children, I need Panasa, but you got to answer, you guys are Sadiq. The angels come out, what's Sadiq? The guy's got a whole list of it on. Oh, you didn't see what he just did? He just put me in a different mode. He put me in the mode to bypass. But the other guy that answers, well, says, oh, answers? God, I also have what to answer. I also have what to answer. You want to answer that? You want to play hardball? Okay, now revenge, bing. And therefore, it puts... So, so who gets... Who's in danger when a person takes a, a, a retribution? You're putting yourself in danger. You're opening the books on yourself. So therefore, the Zohar Kadosh looks at it as a sigula, which the Zohar Kadosh always looks at things like that. It's, a, it's an opportunity that you'll benefit great divine mercy and great, uh, uh, great ability. Now, those are, the, those are the reasons that we have. There's another approach, which I'll tell it to you. This is not a high-level approach. This is you tell somebody when all else fails, you tell them this. No, I don't want to hear about the Hinuch. 
Don't tell me about the Yerushalmi and I don't want a bomb. Yeah, I'm a simple guy. Something that, but I told you to get an ulcer. I have an ulcer already, so it doesn't matter. My wife gave me an ulcer, so that, that's it's too late for that. So the question then is, what's what's the, the, the simple advice that you would tell about? Your children. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. This guy's like that. Nothing bothers them. Sweet revenge. I don't want to take the revenge. The answer is, Borea Olam is the best scorekeeper. What do you think? God doesn't know what's going on? You don't have to fix the wrongs. God upstairs knows exactly what to do, and his justice is precise, and his justice is accurate. And therefore, when we take revenge, it's always going to be inaccurate and injustice. Why? Because we're unable to do things pinpointed. What I mean to say is that when you go after a person, you didn't go after only him. It affects his wife. It affects his children. It affects a lot of innocent people that were not even part of it, but because you went after him. So now he wronged you, and by taking revenge, you hurt there was collateral damage. So we could never exercise judgment to the T. The judgment of man is always going to be in excess. We're not able to do exactly what was done to repay. The only one that's able to do that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When Bori Olam gives the Nekama, and God is called El Nekamot Hashem. God is the God of vengeance. And that's what Hillel was saying. Hillel was saying, Al <laughs> You drowned somebody. What did you think? You're going to get away with it? I'm not going to get away with it. But Allah made sure that you're going to get Midah. You thought you're going to escape the justice of God. It's the family of that guy that drowns. Oh, what's good? Just sit back. Wait, maybe one year, maybe 10 years, but Borealan, when he's ready, you're going to see. And all of a sudden, bing. The one that drowned somebody got drowned himself. Hillel was saying, let Borealan take care of it. And there's going to be the greatest nekama. The greatest nekama that we're waiting for. La'asot nekama bagreem. Tukhichot bal'umim. Ha'oselanu nisim nekama b'far'or. But Olam, when he takes the revenge against the enemies. And at that time, the holy books say that B'nai Yisrael that have been persecuted for 2,000 years by all our enemies. And Kadosh Baruch Hu, who's Osei Nekama, is going to come along and take the great revenge which already it has started. That revenge that Bore Olam is settling old bills and old orders in different countries and they're starting to have the and all of a sudden, when he does that, that's going to be already the greatest sweet revenge that we're going to do. But that's that's not our business. Our business over here is to be foregoing. As the Pasuk says, and I quote now, listen to the way we're learning the Pasuk. Don't take revenge. Don't take grudges. You know what the benefit's going to be? If you show love and peace to your friend and you don't answer him according to what he did, let's start reading the Pasuk now. Like you behaved, and he Adonai. Yeah? I put a comma, I'll do it again, the nuance again. Don't do it. And the Zohar Kadosh says, well, if you behave in a good way, God will do the same way. So the Pasuk says, if you show Ahava to your friend, like you, God says, I will be like you. You want me to act like you? You set, you set you set the mode. You set the uh, you set the pace. 
You want it to be in a way where I forego? So it's so it's bad business. And the bad business is always to the one that took the revenge, not the one that you revenged against. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't get as hurt as the one that's doing it. And that's a, a great musad, especially as we're in the times of the Omer now, which is the time of strict judgment, at least until we get to Lagma Omer, the Mikubalim say the judgments are very strong. And when a person, God forbid, exudes animosity, Hasbe Shalom, he arouses the dinim upon himself. <coughs> the Zohar Kadosh says, and I'll conclude with this. <coughs> it's a deep concept what I'm about to tell you. The Zohar Kadosh says that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. I counted before I came, that's why I was a couple of minutes late. There's, there's not 600,000, to be honest. There's about 300,000. Okay, that's a question in itself. How do they say if there's 300 and 600? For another time, the Pnei Yoshua Masekha Shabbat has a long thesis on this. Let's take the Zohar's word. They count in a certain way. And they also say that each Jew corresponds a letter in the Torah. Arizal said that. We all have our connection to a letter in the Torah. Now, I cannot tell you what your letter is, but the Ariza said, when they take the Sefer Torah out, you should try to find a letter that starts with your name. So I'm in the house. I always look for the Aleph. You locate an Aleph, and that's your connection. Now, I don't know if it's that Aleph that I'm located, but it's an Aleph somewhere. When I, they invite me to the Sefer Torah dedication, which letter do you want to write? I'll take an Aleph. So he says something amazing. In Judaism, we always believe that the right side is mercy and the left side is judgment. So therefore, we always give priority to the right. When we get dressed, always put the right hand in first. When you bathe, right hand first. The Kabbalah says the way you clap, right on left. Everything, if you ever see the Hasidim, their shirts are not like our European shirts. See, our shirts, the European shirts, we put the left over the right. But the Hasidim, they make custom-made shirts the other way. The right goes over the left. Uh, they know what they're doing, these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so now, but that's, no, no, no. When you put your scarf on, right over left. That, that's what I can, it's very strict. Always the right should have the priority. So the Kumbalim said, we got a problem. Because if every Jew's a letter, If you write the Hebrew language, when you write Hebrew letters, every letter you always write starting from the left. Not script letters that you're talking about, Torah letters. Just think, if I'm a sofer and I want to write an aluf, I put the, uh, I put the uh, kulmos, I put the quill on the cloth, and what do I say? I start at the left, and then I go to the right. When I want to write a letter, hey, I put the quill, and I go this way. The roof of the head, left to right. Letters in Hebrew represent judgment. So we got a problem. And he's not just said, you're all letters. Well, letters, letters are left to right. We're in trouble. But something happens when you take letters and you make words out of them. Once you make a word, in Hebrew, which direction do you read words? Right to left. So when you make a word, you have turned the judgment from left to right to right to left, which means if you have a bunch of Jews sitting individually at odds with each other, so you have a bunch of individual single letters that are not connected to words. But when you come to a class like this and everybody's sitting together, everybody's beshalom. So now I don't see individual letters. I see a pasuk. So what does the ahadut do? When Jews come together, they form words. And when you form words, you turn the direction in the other way. And this is the way the Baal Shem Tov learns the pasuk. 
And once you have Ahabat Re'im, you create now Pesukim, you create words. And now Kamocha, if you take the numerical value of the word Kamocha, it equals 86. And 86 we know is the numerical value of God's name of judgment, Elohim. We don't want judgment. We want it to be mercy. And God's name of mercy is Yudke Bavke. So you know what happens when we have the Kamocha ani Adonai. You turn Kamocha, which is Midatadin 86 Elohim, into Yudke Bavke, which is mercy. And there's no better time to work on this than in the times of Sefirat Omer, when we're still suffering from this petty, petty fights, most of the stuff that people get hung up on, like my mom really said, let go. It's not worth it. And especially where you're going after the wrong person in the first place. It's all an act of God. So work on your emunah, work on your faith. And that's a, a great musad. And at the end of the day, when you go after another Jew, you're taking one hand and you're hitting the other hand. So you're hurting yourself. So it's not, it doesn't even make sense. It's ludicrous. And this is what the great Rabbi Hillel was telling us. Let God take care of it. And then Hashem, in these times, will turn the tide of Midat Adin and it will become Midat Rahamim, Kamocha, and the Yeshua. Yeah.